0: Fish Bites podcast. I'm RM Layton, and I'm joined by the Marlins Sun Sentinel beat writer, Tim Healy. Tim, thanks for being on.
1: Anytime. Thanks for having me.
0: First and foremost, congratulations on your first season as the Marlins beat writer. Uh, tell us, what was the best moment in your first season?
1: Best moment? Uh, are, we, are we talking on field Marlins right now or just, you know, more me in this job?
0: either or I, I, our readers love to hear about what you're doing you know you're one of our favorites here at fish stripes and uh, give us a little insight on the job in the first season what's the coolest or, or best thing that happened to
1: you uh, I, I you know being my first first full year I went to a lot of parks that I hadn't been to before and just from a, a journal or journalism and a baseball nerd perspective I thought it was really cool to visit you know Seattle and San Diego and Dodger Stadium and a bunch of places as opposed to the the NL East parks you get kind of tired of, (laughs) get kind of tired of those cities. But it was really cool to uh, visit a bunch of ballparks and major league cities that I hadn't been to before. So that was a lot of fun. And then as far as the on-field Marlins go, I think what I'll remember most from this season is obviously Stanton and the the season that he had. Uh, But as far as individual moments – Ichiro's home run in Seattle will probably stick out. Uh, you know, I, I missed some good ones like JT Riddle's walk-off against the Mets in April and Edinson Volquez's no-hitter. I I was off both of those days, just so happened. But, uh, <laughs> wow. yeah, unlucky, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, Gio Gonzalez's near-perfect game, near-no-hitter on Jose Fernandez's birthday, also the trade deadline, uh, that, that was another one that sticks out.
0: It was definitely an eventful season. I think with baseball, it's so amazing. you got 162 games. There's always something incredible that's going to happen. I know last year it was Ichiro's chase for 3,000, and now this year Stanton's magical season. But going off of what you said about Stanton, do you think he's the MVP? We've had a lot of debate. I know Marlins fans are saying he's the undisputed, has to be the MVP. And then you have other guys around baseball saying there's five or six guys that you could name the MVP. Given, given that you've covered Stanton all year, do you think he's the MVP or do you think it's someone else? No, I,
1: I I can't say definitively. You know, I I I feel a little fortunate in that I didn't have an NL MVP vote this year. Uh, you guys can all attack uh, Joe Fasaro of MLB.com for, because he, he, that's the category he was voting for. I say that lightheartedly, of course. Don't attack Joe. Um, but... Uh, you know, I voted for rookie of the year, and I, I, was, I was looking at the numbers for MVP, and, you know, the the eye-popping RBI and home run totals for Stanton led the majors in both. Those, those stick out for sure, but I can't say that it, it's not black and white. To me, uh, I can't say definitively that Stanton's the MVP or that Goldschmidt's the MVP or that Arenado or Blackman or Anthony Rendon are the MVP. Uh, so I, I would definitely... Fit into that latter category that you described—that there are as many as a half dozen or more people who could reasonably win. Joey Votto, uh, an incredible season, doesn't get any love because he's on a terrible team again. But uh, you know, I, I can't say that stands the MVP. But if he if he is if he does win the award, it's not a bad choice by voters at all. You know, you, you can't complain about that. And one other thing I will I want to add about this is the the fact that. It's even a discussion. I think is a tribute to how far uh, the collective mindset has evolved as far as what numbers matter. So I think as recently as five years ago, if Stanton had, you know, fifty nine home runs and one hundred and thirty two RBIs, then he'd be the no doubt MVP. But now that we know a little bit more about what numbers are truly indicative of how valuable and productive. And good a player is, uh, we know that home runs aren't everything, and RBIs aren't everything. So I think that's that's a little bit of a, a sign of progress, as far as I'm concerned.
0: And going off of that, in, in a season where home runs, the home run record was absolutely shattered, do you think that hurts Stanton's case for the MVP? Since you know so many more players are hitting so many more home runs.
1: You mean the collective major league record for home runs? Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, I don't. I don't think so. At least not directly. I don't think anybody looks at Stanton necessarily and says, oh, 59 home runs, but everyone was hitting 59, you know, hitting a bunch of home runs. It might hurt him in the sense that uh, the, the indirect sense that they look when they're, when everybody's totaling up the numbers and looking at player A, player B, and player C – Yes, 59 pops off the page, but 37, Charlie Blackman, I think, had finished with 37. uh, You know, another MVP candidate, he hit 37 on the leadoff spot. Uh, Goldschmidt had a bunch, Arenado had a bunch. So I don't think people necessarily dock Stanton because of the home run environment of this season. But, you know, his 59 isn't as impressive as, you know, for example, Babe Ruth's 59 in 1921 when home runs were so much rarer. Uh, So hopefully that answers that question sort of.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And the reason why I asked that question is I saw a couple articles trying to, I guess, diminish Stanton's season saying that, you know, so many more home runs are being hit, but I, I agree with you. I don't really agree with that notion. Also, just before we had you on, Uh, Now you were, you just put out an article about the Marlins hiring of Gary Denbo. Uh, What can you tell us about Denbo and and what can he bring to the table for the Marlins? And can you tell us more about his position?
1: Sure. Sure. Well, Gary Denbo, uh, he is a longtime friend of and mentor to Derek Jeter, their relationship dating back to Derek Jeter's early minor league days. When Denbo was his manager, Denbo has worked for the Yankees for 23 years Uh, across three different stints. And Denbo, I think he's a fascinating hire. He's done a little bit of everything in his baseball career. He flamed out as a minor leaguer, didn't get very far, but then went into managing, went into coaching. He has been a scout for the Indians, a hitting coach at the majors for the Yankees and Blue Jays. He was a hitting coach in Japan for a few years. Uh, Most recently, he was the Yankees vice president of player development, which basically means he was in charge of the farm system. And in his three years or so in that position, the Yankees farm system went from one of the worst in baseball to one of the best Uh, that was aided significantly by the Yankees trading off a whole bunch of their veterans during the 2016 season. So it's not like uh, Dembo gets all of the credit for this turnaround. Uh, A lot goes into the quality of a farm system from amateur scouting to Pro scouting and which prospects to trade for when the Yankees were having their fire sale during their pseudo rebuild. Uh, but with the Marlins, Gary Denbo is going to be his official title is Vice President of Scouting and Player Development, which is interesting because that's a position the Marlins haven't had in recent years. Uh, so that means he'll be in charge of scouting and player development. Uh, uh, in the past couple, for the past couple of years, Mark Del Piano was in charge of. He was vice president of player development, and Jeff McAvoy was uh, VP of player personnel, and he oversaw a lot of the pro scouting. Uh, so the addition of Genbo, uh, the addition of Gary Denbo, is an interesting one. I think it's a very strong one, uh, just in terms of reading what other executives have said and talking to other executives and people in baseball. Uh, you won't find a bad word said about Gary Denbo. Uh, so it's a, it's a strong hire. It's the first of what should be several significant hires this offseason for the Marlins and Derek Jeter. Uh, but it, it's a start. Of course, scouting and player development is something Jeter specifically referenced in his introductory press conference last week. And uh, suffice it to say, uh, the deal with Denbo was, if not done, then at least uh, at the forefront of Jeter's mind when he said that.
0: And scouting has been a little bit of an issue for the Marlins the last few years. They've whiffed on a few first-round picks, so it makes sense that Jeter wants to make that a point of emphasis. You were at the press conference, obviously, and, and you were able to get a feel for what Jeter was saying in, in, in that uh, letter he also wrote to the fans. What's been your impression so far from the small glimpses we've gotten from the new ownership
1: uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say because we have had such a small glimpse, of it, particularly in, in person. La, last Tuesday at Marlins Park, when Bruce Sherman and Derek Jeter had their, their news conference, I, honestly, I wasn't impressed. Uh, there wasn't a lot of meat on the bone there. There wasn't a lot of actual information. It was just kind of Jeter and Bruce saying, saying hello. And, you know, in, in, the, in that sort of environment, when it's the new owners and it's day one or day two for them, Uh, You don't necessarily expect, you can't expect immediate change, but I I was hoping for something, some sort of, you know, a little more energy, a little more, a little more something. Uh, It struck me that Jeter was specifically asked about the status of manager Don Mattingly and the coaching staff and Jeter praised Mattingly, but then, but didn't say outright that Mattingly would be back, which was really weird. I 100% expect Mattingly to be back uh but that he didn't even offer that up was was kind of strange to me.
0: Yeah, so you're you're hitting the nail on the head here cuz that's what I was going to get to next was I think how non-committal Jeter has been has made Marlins fans really wary about the future. Uh especially there was a specific quote that stuck out to me from Jeter uh that he said he warned fans of potential unpopular opinions. Oh, yeah. And uh that to me stuck out as I'm probably going to trade one of your favorite players. That's just how I looked at it because what other opinion is unpopular? Maybe a Don Mattingly uh, move could also be uh, something along those lines. But um, what's your interpretation of unpopular moves and making moves that – in his eyes that are unpopular opinions?
1: Well, you're right in rating that as uh, – to me, that uh, the, the unpopular moves, that was sort of a – an important takeaway from the news conference and you should interpret it and fans should interpret it as not only will he probably trade one of your favorite players, but he'll probably trade several or most of your favorite players. (laughs) Uh, That's just sort of the spot the Marlins are in right now. Uh, He did foreshadow pretty heavily that actually didn't foreshadow. He said it outright that the Marlins are rebuilding. And that's true in, in many senses in that, they have to turn the Marlins around as a business and as a baseball team. Uh, and then, you know, Jeter did hedge. He did say he doesn't like the word for shot or he doesn't like the word rebuild because people often associate that with losing and that doesn't necessarily need to be the case. But uh, uh, I, Jeter seemed to hint at it and myself and many others are expecting that the Marlins will be trading several, at least, pieces of their, their core in the coming uh, months.
0: Going back to what you were talking about with, with Denbo and and the hiring of him, there was a lot made of the second Jeter was uh, – the, the ownership was approved. He was said to have fired Andre Dawson, Jeff Conine, and, and Jack McKeon, three advisors in the Marlins organization. And then there were conflicting reports, some saying that, then he didn't fire in them and that he planned to have roles for them in the future. What can you tell Marlins fans about that situation? And can they expect to see Mr. Marlin and Dawson and McKee and guys that have huge parts in Marlins history to remain a part of the organization? Yeah,
1: well, I, I do expect them to remain a part of the organization. And that story from the beginning was, was very odd, right? We found out in mid to late September that, uh, Jeter asked Samson, David Sampson, former president, right? Familiar name, <laughs> uh, to fire those four special advisors. Uh, and it was, it was weird that, you know, th- th- those guys are special advisors. First of all, let's give a little background on that. They don't do a ton. They, you know, as you mentioned or alluded to, they're significant Marlins figures, uh, significant baseball figures in a couple of cases. And they hang around. They're in uniform sometimes. Sometimes they go on special scouting assignments for the the president or GM or owner. Uh, But basically, they're just figureheads. They're ambassadors. They're Jeff Conine and Jeff uh, are, you know, famous in Marlon's history. So, yeah, sure, they're retired. Uh, Come hang around, get in uniform a couple times throughout the season. Hang out in spring training. Teach the young guys. uh, Show them you know, this little piece of Marlins history. Uh, so so to, to fire them, to outright remove them from the organization, uh, I can't imagine it saves very money, especially in the big picture of uh, uh, Major League Baseball budget. And it's very odd from, a, from an optics standpoint that your first move to in taking over a team is firing some of the most beloved figures in that team's history. Uh, so that he's backtracking... Uh, From that, and that he seems to be, you know, reportedly offering those guys potential roles with the organization isn't surprising. Um, You know, what those roles end up being aren't very important. You know, that's really just a matter of semantics, Uh, you know, as far as special advisors to the CEO or special advisors to whomever. Uh, But You know, I I expect those guys to still be around next year, or at least uh, some of them if they want to. But that story, I think, has received an undue amount of attention in the grand picture of uh, the Marlins and what is important to running the Marlins.
0: Yeah, and it was interesting because, in the grand scheme of of things with the franchise, it's not really going to affect winning or losing. It was just a puzzling move right off the bat to like you said, fire guys that have such an important part in Marlin's history that Marlin's fans love. Yeah. So it just seemed like a really strange first move to come in there and, and make such a bold move and I think the blowback is kind of why he decided maybe it's not worth it he being Derek Cheater. Uh, so if you expect them to have roles that that's good to hear because I had I had a lot of questions that as much as anything. You know what's the deal with with these three guys? We want them around. Uh, are they going to be around? And, th- and it was an answer I couldn't really provide. Right. Um, so appreciate you providing that answer for us. Uh, what what do you think going more specific into Jeter's moves? Uh, we know they're going to shed money. We know that they kind of want to go into not rebuilding, as we talk about semantics, but but a restructuring. Uh, what? Do you think they're going to do? Who do you think is most likely to be moved? I know Stanton came out and said he's not uh, interested in rebuilding. Yelich uh, is affordable for the next few years, so he might be a guy worth holding on to unless there's a significant mm-hmm. return. Uh, who do you think is most likely to be moved, and what kind of return do you think? they uh, could I think bring
1: Stan's going to be moved for sure. I, I don't expect him to be a Marlin in 2018, and I know that that stings for a lot of people because he of the season he just had and the fact that he's. Probably the best Marlin ever, Uh, you know, when you when you stack up the numbers and what each player accomplished uh, through the last quarter century or however long it's been. Uh, But, you know, I I fully expect Stanton to go. To me, the primary benefit of trading Stanton is to get out from under his contract to whatever degree they can. Not so much in the prospect return, although I would fully expect a, a couple prospects to be a part of the deal. Uh, but then I also expect Ozuna to go. He's going to get a huge raise in arbitration this year. He has t- two more years of team control remaining, so he'll be a free agent after 2019. And he had a massive season. It gets overshadowed by Stanton, but Don Mattingly went out of his way a couple of times in September to, to you know, give Ozuna some love on that front. Uh, Ozuna, and I've said this a couple of times in other places, but Ozuna had such a good season that if he took a step back last year, now took a step back next year, he, he he's still a very good player. You know, if he hits 30 home runs and in 30 instead of 37 if he drives in 100 runs instead of 120 something, uh, that's an awfully good player and I think the Marlins can get a significant return for him. You're right in that Christian Yelich is is uh, very uh, you know, his contract is manageable, very team friendly still. And JT Real Muto is about to hit arbitration for the first time. He has three years of team control left. So Stanton and Azuna, I expect to be traded for sure. Jelic and Real Muto are more of a question mark, but I expect at least one of them to get traded because due to their contract situation and that they're relatively inexpensive, uh, teams will be able to give up, will be willing to give up more in terms of prospects for them than probably Stanton. And that's sort of the weird way that baseball works. And I guess the weird way that money works, but it, but because those two players are cheaper, their trade value is perhaps higher. Uh, so those are kind of the big four and the big four at the top. And then I guess at a level right below them, you have D Gordon, Justin Bohr, and Dan Straley. Um, and they're each, each of those guys are a very different case. Um, but to me, each one of them are, are fair game to be traded, as is the case with really anybody on the roster besides the outright and obvious bad contracts. Uh, that if, you know, Jeter mentioned building it from the top down or the bottom up. That you know, anybody's fair game; nobody's untouchable.
0: The thing that really puzzles me with with Stanton is Stanton just put up the best season uh, you know we've seen in a really long time. And the Marlins gave Stanton this contract before they ever thought he could even perform to this mark. I think even if you if you asked, you know, Luria and and the Marlins front office when they gave him this three hundred plus million dollar contract, that if you asked them if they 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 thought he would hit sixty home runs in a season, I don't know if they would say yes. So he exceeds expectations, but we still regard his contract as too pricey. So why would the Marlins ever give Stanton this contract? In the well, that's a good
1: question, and, and it's one that people asked as soon as he signed the contract. As soon as everybody found out about it, um, it is obviously backloaded. So he, Stanton, has made very little money so far, and the big money doesn't start till 2018. He's gonna his salary is gonna jump up to 25 million dollars next year, and over the next 10 years, he's gonna make 295 million. So you know, between Stanton and Wei and Chen and D. Gordon and Christian Yelich, even Martin Prado, Ziegler, Tazawa, even, you know, those relative smaller deals, all of those contracts are backloaded. And if you try to read between the lines there, there's a strong sense that Jeffrey Loria himself never intended on paying Stanton all that money, never intended on maybe paying Christian Yelich all that money, Um so he he would uh, sign these guys to long term deals, uh, own the team during these during the relative cheaper years, and then sell sell the team before the payroll really exploded. So Loria sells the Marlins and leaves them in a really bad spot as far as payroll goes, but in a good spot as far as having tradable uh, assets goes. Uh, in terms of the stand question specifically, you know why is he still? You know, people, you know, he he exceeded expectations, as as you said. And that's true for this season. But seven months ago, six months ago, at the start of the season, there were a lot of people saying Giancarlo Stanton was overpaid and that he wasn't living up to the contract. He's hurt all the time, yada, yada. Uh, He finally got through his season healthy, had a massive season production wise, and, you know, he exceeded expectations for 2017, yes. Uh, but there's no telling what's going to happen in 2018 or 19 or you know 2026 uh, as as he gets toward the tail end of the contract. So Stanton's contract, Stanton's trade value right now is as high as probably as high as it's going to be. So the Marlins are probably going to try to capitalize that and move him while they can, as opposed to you know risking him getting hurt or not being as good next year.
0: And I think the Albert Pujols situation might scare away some owners. You know, that's the only, besides Alex Rodriguez, which is also a, another terrible situation. I don't, I haven't seen one scenario where these contracts that are eight plus years end up working out for the team that ends up acquiring the player or initially signing them. And I think that's definitely a big deterrent for any teams that might be interested in Stanton. Uh, so... If the Marlins aren't expecting to get a huge return on Stanton, what kind of return do you think Marcelo Zuna can get? Because I, I, I look at the Adam Eaton trade from a couple of years, two seasons ago, and he didn't put up nearly the numbers that, that Marcelo Zuna did. And, and Eaton still was able to reel in for the White Sox the two top 100 prospects and, and one other very solid mid-level prospect. What do you think Ozuna could bring in? For the Marlins, if he's the second most likely to be yeah, traded. Yeah, I think
1: that's a that's a fair baseline for it. Um, you know, the value of, of Eaton at the time of that trade was mostly in his defense. A uh, very strong defensive player. Obviously, they didn't get to benefit from that last year because he got – or this year because he got hurt. But uh, Ozuna is a well-rounded player. And I, I think Ozuna, if not – if he isn't valued higher than Adam Eaton, then he should be. Um He hits a ton, obviously. He's no slouch in the outfield, and he's still got two more years of team control left. Uh, So as far as return, I think two top 100 prospects and then another mid-level prospect, that's a starting point. And I think you'll see a lot of teams want Marcelo Zuna. Um, So, you know, and competition is never a bad thing when you're trying to trade a guy. (laughs)
0: absolutely i mean that that's probably the best thing the Marlins could have is a little bit Ooh. of a bidding war uh do you see do you see the Marlins trading D Gordon and getting a decent return and um if you do see the Marlins trading all of these guys it's kind of a two part question here um do you see them going for for you know high high level prospects or trying to get some major league talent in there too? I know Marlins fans uh as painful as it is to probably listen to this and hear that you know their favorite players are going to be traded away i'm sure that they would be more inclined to to want major league talent rather than waiting it out for some guy to climb through the ranks in sure. the minor um, leagues
1: well for the d gordon question first uh, I, I feel like the common perception or the the oft referenced you know summary of d gordon is that he has a, a big contract that he's going to be overpaid but I don't know how true that is. He had a really good season. He could probably win a gold glove. He has a silver slugger case. He stole 60 bases. He hit over 300. His OBP was reasonable. You know, he's never, he has never walked a ton, but it wasn't uh
0: a- It's like his biggest weakness, and it wasn't even bad. And he was over 200 hits. I agree with you 100%. I'm not really sure why he's still being regarded. Right, right. As and he is, he's split. definitely going
1: to make it a ton of money the next three years, but the idea okay. that D Gordon's just a black hole of a contract, that that's wrong. I think he is definitely tradable, unlike Martin Prado, who was, of course, hurt all year. Uh, but D Gordon's definitely tradable. I think uh, a potential return on him is below what it would be for the outfielders and Real Muto. But he could definitely bring back a couple nice pieces if you're trying to get out from under that contract and – uh, you know, if you're willing to part with them, which I'm sure the Marlins would be, because nobody's untouchable, of course. And th- and then your other question about uh, what what the return will be—major leaguers versus prospects. My guess would be a mix, but mostly prospects. Uh, the trouble with getting major league talent in return for your major leaguers is that well, what good is that gonna do? Um, you know, the 2018 Marlins probably aren't going to be a ton of fun to watch on the field. You know what, let me let me rephrase that. They might be a ton of fun, but they're not going to be sexy. Um, they're not going to, you know, there aren't going to be grand on-field expectations for the Marlins next year is my bet. Uh, and, and when you talk about building a team, baseball is cyclical. Uh, we see the Astros and the Cubs right now. On the top of their cycle, the the competing for a championship part of their cycle, and a few years ago, of course, those teams were the ones rebuilding. Uh, the timing of the cycle is is extremely difficult. The Marlins were supposed to be at the in their the competing portion of their cycle right now. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition. But the the problem with to getting back to the actual question of the, the problem with getting major league talent. As you're trying to rebuild is that that talent is one more expensive than you probably want to pay and two will be coming up on free agency and or coming up on their big paydays via arbitration right when the prospects that you acquired are coming up and really making an impact. So it's it's super hard to time (laughs) running a baseball team and building a good baseball team (laughs) is really difficult uh, but I would expect most of the return the Marlins get for their whatever trades end up happening this winter. I would expect that to mostly be prospects because prospects are cheaper for their first three seasons they're making the major league minimum and then the three seasons after that uh you know they get arbitration they get raises and then they hit free agency
0: you know you know what you made me think of when you said that the Marlins Well, might be fun to watch, but they won't be sexy. The first thing I thought of was the 2006 to 2008-ish Marlins where they had a young Hanley Ramirez, a young Dan Uggla, Josh Willingham. You know, I could go on and on and and name all these young guys that that ended up having the only infield to all the way around hit 25 or more home runs. Uh, They – well, they were competitive. You know, they, they flirted with 500. Sometimes they were over 500. They competed for the wild card one year, but it was just a fun young team to watch. And, you know, Marlins fans, while it might be sad that these superstars are getting traded, the fact of the matter is they didn't get anywhere with these superstars and you can't just sit around and wait for something to happen. You have to be proactive. And I think with, with the new ownership coming through, unfortunately they're going to have to start over and, uh, I know Marlins fans are going to kick and scream because it's, it's almost traumatizing at this point, but I think, I think trusting, trusting the process and trusting that it's not, uh, a Jeffrey Loria fire sale and rather a restructuring as Derek Jeter put it w- would be a much better way to look at it. Uh, before we wrap up here, we are in the, in the heart of the post season. Of course, we still had to talk about the Marlins, but I feel like it wouldn't be just to, uh have you on and not talk about the postseason. So what is your prediction going on now? I know, I know the, the Yankees and, and Cleveland are now making it a series. Uh, a lot of people thought that was done. And here we go into a game five coming up. And what else do you think is going to happen? What do you think with that series? And who, who's your uh, pick for World the World Series?
1: series? <laughs> this is kind of like the MVP conversation when there are so many seemingly equal uh, players or in this case teams that it's, it's a total crapshoot. As far as Indians and, and Yankees, they're coming up on Game Five. I like the Indians in that one. Uh, you know, for any given playoff game in a series when the teams are gonna, the lamps are gonna be mostly the same game to game. I base it off who's pitching. And in the matchup of Corey Kluber versus CC Sabathia, I like Corey Kluber. Um, but it's hard to ignore. You know, as far as World Series picks, what the Dodgers just did—they had a miserable September, but they just swept a very good Diamondbacks team. Uh, it's hard to ignore that. So if if we get to a World Series of Dodgers Astros, that wouldn't surprise me at all.
0: And what's amazing about this postseason, like you said, is that there's going into it. There is you can make a case for six six or seven teams that could all potentially make a run at the World Series, and I, that's why I think this is going to be a really exciting postseason. Uh, I, I honestly I've struggled. I've gone back and forth on who I think is going to win it. I, history shows that even if you go into the postseason cold, it doesn't really have any indication on how you, how you do in the postseason. I think the Dodgers have reflected that. Um, so I think you're spot on. I'm with you and I, I would love a Dodgers uh, Astros world series, but we'll see. Thanks for coming on again, Tim. Uh, I know us at, at fish stripes, we love to have you on uh, all of our readers are big fans. I know they're always tweeting at you and I, uh, you do a great job of getting back to them, and that's why we love to have you on here. But, uh, but once again, congratulations on your first full season.
1: Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks again, Tim.